Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 204 DGS. Happy Monday to you. Weird story uh, rearing its head again about uh, Congresswoman Cori Bush. Remember a year or so ago when it came out that she was paying her husband uh, a really good wage per year to provide security services Mm -hmm. and then it came out that he had no experience at security services and she was also paying several other companies to do security for her uh i guess she still is but uh, it's a new story on foxnews.com and on drudge because she changed the designation from security services to quote wage expenses so she's paying her husband over $100,000. Uh, she's also paid hundreds of thousands to other companies. And here's, here's why I'm glad I, I read this entire article. Uh, I'm just going to read. Okay. Uh, after Bush and Merritt's married in February, her office announced that they had been together more than a year before her campaign began paying him in early 2022. Her campaign regularly sent Merritt's, that's him, bi-monthly $2,500 checks while dispersing hundreds of thousands to other protection firms, primarily Peace Security. Here's the weird sentence. The campaign also paid Nathaniel Davis, who has claimed he's 109 trillion years old and can summon tornadoes, tens of thousands of dollars for security services. I had to read that a couple of times. He can summon tornadoes? Well, he's 109 trillion years old. Well, that makes sense then. He, he learned can, some things. He thinks he can teach you self-defense using uh, psychic powers. <laughs> he's got psychic powers that can teach you. So nothing to see here. Everything's fine. She's given him $100,000. $100,000 to a man who claims to be 109 trillion years old and can summon tornadoes. So where does that money come from? I. That is a great question. I don't think it comes from her. No, if it's it, a campaign, I yeah, thought it said. If it's yeah. coming from her salary, she can spend it on anything she wants. But I'm surprised at how much stupid stuff you can use campaign uh, donations for. On the other side of, of the the aisle, Trump's using millions and millions for legal defenses when he's a billionaire. Uh, but here she is spending hundreds of thousands for security. And when she was called out on it, you remember her response like, oh, so you want me to get killed. So that's what it is. You want me to die, which is the ultimate straw man argument. But I think her constituents might have a problem with her spending money on a guy who thinks he's trillions of years old. There's a part of me that hates everything about the idea that you can get money donated to your campaign 
which is to keep you elected, right? That's the whole point of a campaign is to get elected. And that you can redirect that to any old thing, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly fine. under some fine. circumstances, if you don't win, keep it. <clears throat> why? I, I, I was just going to say, why do we allow this? But, of course, why do we allow it? Because we just don't care. <laughs> we it, it makes we me... get mad at it, but, like, we don't do anything about it. We don't hold anybody to a standard and say, listen, if you want my vote, you need to pass legislation that restricts what you can use my you know campaign donations for. But the other argument is... The people giving them money don't care that they do that. It's really surprising to me how any, like, goofball Dinesh D'Souza got wrapped up in, like, uh, felony, like, campaign finance fraud stuff. How do you ever get charged with campaign finance fraud when there's, when we're given security money to, you know, psychic self-defense mm. and, you know, Trump is doing whatever it is that he's doing with all of his donations. Lauren Boebert's spending, like, thousands at her boyfriend's bar in, in Oh, you guys see that one? Campaign money. Bobert paid for the catering at her boyfriend's drag show bar, which I I wouldn't care if she weren't so family values and you people are going to hell and you people are going to hell while she's vaping and groping and financially supporting drag shows with campaign dollars. Like, seriously? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole thing's super confusing. I mean, do you, uh, is everyone just able to get away with this because they're not lying when they're asking what's going on with the money? I mean, is there really just that little regulation as far as what Could you can be. do It sure with seems the money? like it's that loose. Yeah. I mean, like, just tell us the truth and you're okay. It's openly happening and nothing happens to anybody, so it must be okay. Yeah. I mean, it has to be. I mean... I I don't I don't know why. I mean, I, again, I guess the the ex, the the onus is put on the donors in this case. If you don't want your money being used for those things, then you can just withhold your money. Problem solved. But man, that seems like an awful lot of large slush funds around the world, around mm. the country. With, I mean, if this is happening, this happened to how many? All of them. I mean, would we argue that everybody who has a campaign fund, yeah, fund has doing it, this stuff? I don't understand. To me, I would think that there would be very strict, specific laws that every dollar donated to a campaign has to be spent on campaign-related things, and here's the definition of it in the statute. And if not, then it's going to go into a general fund that's going to support education or something. But doing what Cory Bush is doing, doing what Boebert's doing, like you guys said— I think both of those things should be things that at least get you in trouble with the ethics committee, if not in legal trouble. But evidently, it's just, you know, oh, wish I wouldn't have got caught at paying a trillion-year-old man who can control tornadoes, but it's not against the rules. Mm-hmm. Anywho. What if the joke's on us and he really is trillion years old? I know, that's old? the thing. Yeah. I don't, I'm not too quick well, to condemn this guy because I don't know. What's even more interesting is he, he actually says he's 109 trillion years old in this galaxy. Oh, so, so in, other in, galaxies yeah. might be a different situation. So he might, he might, you know, previously I in other galaxies. thought the universe was only 16 billion years old. Well, that's what you would, you're not old enough to know how old it really is. Yes. Well, that's a good point. If I, yes. if I were 109 trillion, I how would, would know. How would you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a good point. Don't, don't, don't be silly. My apologies. Catch us up on sports. All right. A um, couple things. I mean, the ones that are, that are kind of fleeting. I mean, the baseball playoffs uh, got to the next round last night and the Rangers won game one. Um, the blues are off to actually an okay start. Like it's not mind boggling or anything, but one and one, they got a point in the first game cause they lost in the shootout. Uh, and that was against Dallas, one of the top teams in the league. So they're out to a pretty good start. They won their home opener on Saturday night. Uh, but 
the the news today that I thought we could kick around, which is inter- to me is interesting, is whenever they add new Olympic sports, you're always like that, or sometimes it's like, all right, yeah, like they added cricket this year. That's a great Olympic sport. The whole world, a lot of the world yeah, plays it. We that really, makes sense. We really don't, but there are great professional sports leagues. I think if you match up the pro cricket leagues in terms of like annual revenue, they're probably not far off of like golf and and the NHL. Like they're not that far down. They're, they, they're re- it's really big in the UK. It's really big in India. It's got, there's a worldwide structure mm-hmm. for it. They are now putting flag football in as an Olympic sport. Like flag football, three on three. Or? I'm not entirely sure, but obviously it's not going to be eleven on eleven. It's probably going to be something like seven on seven. Um, but flag football, to my knowledge, does not have any professional structure, and I don't think it's played all over the world. This is why I don't understand. Didn't they do break dancing and pogo? Yeah, last time I know they did break dancing and cool, fine. I mean, like a lot of people do that. It's way. I mean, it looks like gymnastics to me the way those guys dance. Why is that much different than gymnastics in, in the, or even different than X Games type stuff? I mean, it's it's about creativity and movement and athleticism. I mean, that's that's fine. It may not be easy to define, but neither is gymnastics. I mean, you're anything that's that is scored by judging points is going to be somewhat subjective. But I, I I feel like they're just doing this because it's in the United States, and it seems like. The NFL and people with with football money are make made the push because this is their chance to get some Olympic attention. Because otherwise, you know, hmm. but nobody else around the world plays American football, and I'm certain that there's not much energy going on for flag football. And I don't understand how like I don't understand how this works, except that it's everything in the Olympics is corrupt, right? Hmm. I mean, everything about it it tends to be from how you get to host to things that get put in, like new events that get put in. They're bringing back baseball and softball, by the way, which is interesting. And I know their their hope is that because it's the summer games that they'll get, like, major league players, but they're not going to get major league players. And um, when and where is it this, this tw- time? Uh, it'll be L.A., the L.A. games, 2028. Oh, is, eight. Yeah, 2028 is when this is going to be brought in in L.A., um, ah, by then we'll have aliens and Sasquatch. And I know. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. The world will be a different place. I guess they'll be playing flag football yeah. in in Suriname, so they'll have a team. I just don't understand how you can have an Olympic sport where nobody around the world plays it except us. Like, that seems like an odd thing. I mean, I'm fine. Like, you know, give it years. Maybe you put it in 20 years down the road and build some infrastructure, but does it... Is it, it feels like it's just a favor to us because we're hosting. Hmm. Right? Like, you guys are hosting here. You guys get this one. Here's a free gold medal for the United States. <laughs> I also saw a story that at least there were rumors about Yachty com- contemplating coming back as a coach. Well, there was a report um, that he was talking to the team. The team was talking to him um, about the po- that was an I, that was a possibility. Marty Kilcoin from Fox Two uh, is the one that had it. And Martin's legit. I mean, he's not somebody that's just going to make stuff up. And he had a. I think he did it on TV, and then it became an online story. He tweeted it out. So I don't have any doubt in my mind that. The conversation at least happened. If if Martin's saying it is, yeah, I mean he's you know he's straight up guy, and he's definitely got good sources and knows a lot of people. And I think it's interesting because you bring back Molina into the mix. I mean, he's obviously a brilliant baseball mind. So if he wants to do it, of course you do it, right? There, that that kind of experience, that kind of brain, 
is one you want to ha- access if they're if they're interested in being a part of it. If you're talking about the major league staff, because uh, he's not going to coach in the minors, he's not going to manage in the minors. There's no way that a player uh, who earned 180 million dollars is going to want to ride the buses and do all that stuff. Um, he would want, I'm sure, would want to be on the major league staff. And the way I, I didn't bring this up Friday when we talked about it, but I wanted to bring it up with the group today on this. Wouldn't that be a lot of pressure on the manager if your bench coach is Yadier Molina? Hmm. Like, wouldn't would you take be a strong manager? I mean, yeah, yeah, it would say a lot about your confidence and your willingness to, you know, to really. I mean, because again, wouldn't who wouldn't be like looking over their shoulder if you if Yadier Molina is your bench coach? I would think that every human being would be like. Well, I'm a, mama, a bad month away from being replaced by Molina, mm. and I would I would say that that's not necessarily a reason not to do it. Managers and coaches have done those things before, but that would speak pretty highly of your confidence level if you're willing to do that. Mm-hmm. But then again, you could argue if you think that he's that big of an ad, which he probably would be, that that's what saves your job. That's what gives you security. Uh, but I, you know, Molina manages the Puerto Rican national team, so I mean, he's you done that. that. Yeah, he does. He's done this kind of thing before. Where he's run a team, actually it was no, it was uh, who was it? It was Venezuela, I think, that he managed this year. Um, but he's a guy that has been involved in that international competition, not the big leagues. But that's an interesting thing. If I put it to you guys, you've made 180 million dollars, and from the time you're 16 until you're 40, you've done this year round, all the time, six months of travel where you're on the road for half that time, not counting spring training, which is another six or seven weeks where you're in another location, it's a grind. You're talking about probably 60, 70 hour weeks. What are you yeah, doing? But I don't know his situation. I don't know if he's married or if he has kids or anything, but if it's something that you love and you love being around it and you just love the smell of the ballpark and you love the rhythm of it and you are rich enough that you don't have to worry about anything. And if you're bored laying on the beach, yeah, I could see it. Yeah, because when we talked about it on Friday, the the to me it's it's whether a lot of, for a lot of guys it's about they need something they need the competition. Mm-hmm. Like if they don't have competition, they're bored. Yeah, and no matter how much money you have, unless there's a there's something you can compete at day in and day out that it can be difficult for some personalities. Others are just like, yep, I'm riding off into the sunset. Yeah, I think to me because he owns a basketball team with and all family. That. Yeah, that if I had spent. 20 plus years away from my family, I would feel like I needed to, okay, now it's time to focus on you guys. But if he doesn't have a, a an immediate family, wife, kids like that, he's just a bachelor. Hell yeah. What a great life. Fly around on chartered planes. It's just, it, it's, it, it, and well, that's the other thing that even, I wonder if there's also another role that he would consider too, which would be just working with the young catchers in the organization. So not working in the minor leagues necessarily, um, but like in spring training, you're there and you train the catchers from top to bottom. And then you travel around and you do spot checks and you help guys out. Um, a lot, like that's what Jose Okendo is doing in Jupiter, right? He's moved out. He's living Jupiter full time. He's training a lot of the young guys there so that as they move up, they have the base things that you get from having Jose Okendo around. I could see something like that too, where it's not a full-time job, but you can impact you know, you're, with your area of expertise, you can yeah. really impact the organization. 225 DGS. Coming up, we have uh, Stairway to Kevin. We have a new friend who we met who 
has opened a new local business we want to introduce you to. We have Dave Murray, we have the Sweet 610, we have audio, all kinds of stuff. It's our 23rd anniversary of the DGS today, uh, back in uh, October 16th of 2000. I was doing my first show. You couldn't get a BB up my butt, and uh, <laughs> my voice was three octaves higher. Yeah, were you talking really fast? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I did a two-hour show back then, and I thought I had eight hours of show prep, and I blew through it in the first two segments. Yeah. <laughs> the the first on-air thing I did for the old radio, my sports network that I did, I listened to the tape like years later, and I was like, holy crap, it was like a machine gun. Yeah. Like, so basically. The Do you find that now. rage with your new show? Uh, I mean, I'm hoping to listen back in a year and go like, what was I doing? (laughs) I I feel that way a little bit now. I'm like still trying to find, you know, my footing here. But I I actually listened to like some podcasts that I recorded from mm, six or seven years ago. And I couldn't listen to more than a word. I heard the tone of my voice and I went, nope, not going (laughs) to do this to myself. Not going to do it. Yeah, but see, I... I'm trying to say this because this is a compliment. You're not new. Like right. your show is a little new, but I mean, you've been on the air for a long time. You're polished. You right. know what I'm saying? Like whatever, we're all self-critical about how we sound or whatever, but you, you've you got like chops. I mean, you've been doing this for seven years, so don't stress. I, thanks, Wheels. I'm not stressing too hard. It's just still, it's like anytime you start something new, you're not sure exactly how it's going to go mm-hmm. and you're still kind of finding your way and that's where I'm at. Good times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two good shows, too, by the way. Thanks, Wheels. What's next week? Next week, uh, so this coming week is going to be Jeff Smith, mm-hmm. former Missouri state senator, and he talks about, you know, his life in politics, the year he spent in a prison in Kentucky, and then life on the outside. It's a really, really good interview. So look forward to that, everybody. Excellent. Welcome back, DGS 234. We are very uh, supportive of local companies. And uh, we recently made a new friend. Her name is Nerida, and she's the owner of Wild Olive Provisions. And she's from Australia, right? <laughs> yes, no I big deal. No big deal. Yes, I am. Yeah. So you called in years ago, yes. and, we, and we fell in love with your voice. <laughs> and then we met you again just last week. Uh-huh. Uh And I'm like, oh, great voice, wine, cheese. Uh, so you brought in a charcuterie board and some wine, and uh, you kind of, you have kind of a specialty, right, as far as the yeah. wine goes. Yeah, so we started just before the pandemic, and we moved here from San Francisco in 2006, and obviously I'm Australian. So we kind of started out with Australian and Californian wines, because that's what we know. Yeah. And then we expanded to some Spanish wines, some South African wines. We don't do the big Napa guys. Yeah. We do the more innovative young guns. I love it. That's my, I'm, like I told you, I mm-hmm. wasn't just saying it because we just met. That's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Like if you give me a really good, big California cab, great. I'll drink it. But I love Australian. I love the the blends and Shiraz is my absolute favorite. Okay. Yeah. You'll, you'll enjoy this story. Uh, so in New Zealand, there is a winemaker named Dave Glover. And he's okay. very well known for making these great Sauvignon Blancs. And when I first got into business, I'm like, hey, look at that. And so I emailed him. I'm like, hey, from one super famous, cool Dave Glover to another. And uh, he's like, oh, he, he. And then after about 10 of those, he was like, I'm going to need you to stop contacting me. He really did. Because I was like, why don't you sell me some wine real cheap and I'll resell it and I'll put my logo. He's like, why don't you just stop contacting me and my family? So... Uh, how long That's were you funny. in Australia? Um, so I grew up in Australia, and um, 
I left there in 2001. Mm-hmm. I told my mum I'd be gone two years, and I moved to San Francisco to be with a man. Sure. And then we got married, and I've been uh, in the States ever since. Yeah. But we do go back every year. Do you roll mm-hmm. your eyes at our stereotypical coverage of Australia here? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But also, it's fun to teach my team some Australian expressions. Uh-huh. And one of my team is actually Australian. Purely coincidental. Wow. She applied for the job. Um, she's been with me since day one. So sometimes the rest of the team have trouble understanding what we're talking about, and we'll use terms like <laughs> yeah. gobsmackingly good and stuff like that. It's like the language twins teach each other. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So when I graduated law school, me and three friends went on a, a multi-month European you know, trip, and we would run into fellow travelers. And the one consistency was that every single Australian we met was super fun and clinically insane. Like, uh-huh. just <laughs> nuts. <laughs> nuts, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we it's we travel a lot because, um, and for periods of time, because we're so far away down there, and it's not unusual to tell your boss you're going to be gone for three months. And I did that when I was working in the corporate world, gosh, at least two or three times. Yeah. And your boss is like, okay, mate, let me know when you're back. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's kind of what we do. Yeah. yeah. Where in Australia? Like city, mm-hmm. outback, bush, where are you from? Yeah. So I grew up in Queensland, southeast Queensland, uh, which is not known for its wine. Uh, it's known for its beaches. And um, then I actually worked in Sydney and Melbourne. I was in the intelligence service for a period of time mm-hmm. and then became a headhunter. And I met my husband, who's from Joliet, Illinois, in Sydney. He was working there. Nothing sexier than Joliet, Illinois. Joliet, Illinois. Illinois. <laughs> yep. Well, my hometown is Gympie, so I can't comment on yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you were, tra- you were yeah. trading up on that. Yeah, definitely. And my husband refers to me as the Gympie girl, which is just lovely. That's great. So, um, so, yeah, and then uh, we ended up in San Francisco. Yeah. And we're coming up on 20 years of marriage. Congratulations. So, One yeah. more uh, American-Australia question. So in, in the bush, in the outback, mm-hmm. is that something that you're like, why the hell would anyone go there? Like, that's insane. You're going to die. Cause... A little bit. Okay. <laughs> I figured that. And I feel, I feel bad saying that because there are a lot of Australians that, you know, can't wait to get out there and experience it. I'm not one of them. Mm. Um, I prefer to be kind of on the coast. I grew up like surfing and swimming, like a lot of Australians. Less scorpions. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. More sharks. More water. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So tell us about your shop and tell Mm -hmm. us about what you brought us today. Yeah. So um, just brought a selection of some cheeses and charcuterie. We do a classic um, cheese and charcuterie board. We don't do those loaded boards. Our um, cheese and charcuterie are all artisan. And so when you have something that's that high quality, you really want it to stand alone. You don't Mm -hmm. want it crammed up against some other things. So we do these and we plate them for our customers. We do it in-house. People can drop a board off and we um, just, they tell us a a dollar amount and we just put it together for them. We also have fresh baked baguettes every day. Mm. So that's something. And I brought you some sliced baguette in. The... um, the olives I have here, my husband started cold smoking olives and they really took off. So Ooh. he created a bit of a... Um, a I know who's taking that one home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> um, people love them. It's pretty time consuming, but um, they're fantastic, especially in a martini. Mm-hmm. 
the wines that I brought you, I brought you today. Um, I know you'd said you like an Australian Shiraz. Mm-hmm. We have um, an Australian female winemaker that, that we have had her products in the store from day one, uh, Dandelion Vineyards, and her name is Elena Brooks. She also was kind enough during the pandemic to do some Zoom tastings for our customers, which was super fun, mm-hmm. as did a few other Australian winemakers. They really stepped up to, to help this Aussie out, so that was fantastic. The one that you are drinking is a GSM, Grenache Shiraz Mataro, and that's a really popular blend because it appeals across a wide range of palates. I love it. Oh, it's good. really good. good. The Grenache is going to appeal to Pinot drinkers, and it's going to give a little softness, and you've got the richness of Shiraz, and then you've got the Mataro that brings some smoky creaminess to it. Okay. So it's a great blend. And then, of course, the Shiraz here that we have, the Lionheart of the Barossa from South Australia, it's just a beautiful Australian Shiraz. It's highly awarded. It reminds me of home. It has notes of eucalyptus on it. Mm-hmm. And it's just really beautiful and very modern and even nuanced rather than a big flavor bomb. Do you have all price points? Do you mm-hmm. focus on a specific yeah. area? So these two wines today are retail at twenty six fifty. dollars mm-hmm. uh, So you don't need to spend a lot of money to have good wine. Um, we were really focused on a um, like a house red and white and rosé, around $12 price point because we think that that is very accessible. People are happy to spend that on a Tuesday night. Yeah. And um, we spent a lot of time at that price point tasting. We tasted some terrible wine because that's really hard to get that right. But we wouldn't sell anything that we wouldn't take home yeah. for ourselves. And then we go right up to, you know, $140 for, and that's an Australian winemaker out of California. There's a clear bias here. Um, so yeah, but we definitely have that range. Our sweet spot is around this 25, 26. So beautiful charcuterie board. Let's take a picture of it race before we decimate it too much. Uh, if if I come into your place, can I buy those or is it Mm -hmm. a bespoke thing? Yeah, it's, uh, it's bespoke and we basically, um, cut any cheese that we have in the cabinet to uh, whatever size you like. We use a very technical finger measurement, one, two, three fingers, um, and we do the people buy the cheese and we wrap it and they take it home or we do cheese plates. But the focus is definitely on the cheese, uh, charcuterie, craft beer. We have a huge craft beer selection and um, the sustainable wine. Kevin, I'm seeing a new live client for you. Who cut the cheese with Kevin Wheeler or who beefed? You go either way. Let's go. These ideas are Just free. keeping it classy. I've Let's been go. doing this for 23 years. They're as fresh as ever. He knows me so well. <laughs> Uh, Wild Olive Provisions, where, where is it? Where do you find yeah, it? Yeah, we're in the Shaw neighborhood. So we're on 39th Street, the corner of Flad. So just across from St. Margaret's Church on the way to Tower Grove Park. So right in the heart of Shaw. Can you drink it there? Yes, definitely. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, it's great to do something you love. Yeah. And our customers are fantastic. That's great. Yeah. A website, anything that we need to yeah, tell people? Yeah, Instagram is the best for us, Wild Olive Provisions. We have tastings. We always have wine open to taste, and um, we like to do some fun pairings. If there's a winemaker in town, we'll have them by mm-hmm. tasting. So we always have something going on. All right. Yep. I will be in in the next week, I promise. Thank I can't you. wait to see it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, very welcome. 249 DGS celebrating uh, 23rd anniversary of the DGS with a charcuterie board and some wine. And uh, I just built Andrew a bite. I love building bites. Mm. I love when people build me bites. Like if we're having dinner together and he's like, oh, you want to buy this? I'm like, yes, but I want you to build me a bite. 
and I just built Andrew a bite. I felt like Hannibal Lecter having a dinner party. You should start your own store, build a bite. Yeah, it's not bad. Kind of like a bear. Yeah, but not a bad. bite. It was a perfect bite, and I apologize for being a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, well, so it had a bunch of stuff on there, and I was thinking, like, well, you know, Nerida from the nice charcuterie place, and she brought this. So it wouldn't be like you know the world's hottest Tabasco or oh, something no. silly like that. But the way the way you were like. Got to take it. You got to bite it all at once. <laughs> got to, you know, mm. nudge it. And I was like, oh, yeah, That's go good. ahead and trust him. Hey, do we have our uh, Halloween preview? We do. Oh. Um, we are still looking for your stories. We have many. Uh, f- so for Halloween this year, we're calling an audible. I-, I like this. I would like this if I were a listener. Rather than just one hour on one day where we go to a haunted house or something, we're saving that for the spring. We're doing a Bigfoot hunt. Uh, we are soliciting your scary stories. And we did our first interview this morning with Chris, uh, who is in the Air Force. And he was uh, in charge of basically a haunted house at a truly haunted house. Uh, on the uh, uh, on, on the the base. the base, yeah, and so we want to bring you like a minute of what he did, and if it jogs your memory or like, oh my god, you know, has a great story is my sister Betsy. Have him reach out to us at uh, djshalloween at gmail dot com. And so I asked the the facility manager, I said, "Well, what's going on over there? What happened over there?" He's like, "Oh, I'm sure you've heard the rumors." Um, so course you know you start to get uh, inquisitive and you're like is this this is really about that you know those old folklore stories is this place haunted did somebody die up here so you naturally just start to assume that they closed it off because there there was an incident there they wanted to just get past it and not have to have people out ask questions about it i did have the big old texas boy um and he was like yeah i'll do it whatever and stayed by himself he had a flashlight he came back down and he's like, I, I just don't like it up there. I don't like the feeling. Just looking back at the whole experience at Keesler, how many people had gone through there? How many experience there was? How many life-changing experiences? How many folks went through there and went off to uh, a military-involved uh, situation and, and didn't come home? Uh, so there's so many variables that could reconnect back to that building. I mean, me just telling this story 20 years later, or almost 20 years later, I am connected to that building. So if anyone out there has a ghost story, a UFO story, a Sasquatch story, a Dogman story, anything at all like that, just send us uh, send us an email and we'll get back in touch with you and maybe you'll be on the DGS Halloween show this year. Mm-hmm. You know what I had for the first time all year? Pumpkin pie. Ooh. Oh, I did. Yeah. Just shopping at Schnooks, doing my thing, and I'm like, well, hello, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> really good. How do you take your... Pie. Cool whip. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And cold as possible. Yes. Yeah. Really cold, like right out of the fridge. Yes. Agreed. Because it gets, a, I mean, it's not bad when it's a little warmer, but I it's don't so like much it when better. It starts to sweat. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's not great. Nothing's better when it sweats. Mm-mm. I like warm pie. <laughs> Andrew microwaves everything. <laughs> I do. I like, uh, well, I can I like get that with like up. cherry or apple pie or whatever. Like, that's warm. That's good. I got sensitive teeth, so I like to. Uh, oh, for love of God! I saw his I like his teethers are sensitive. Yeah, okay? my mine's teethers is sensitive, so I gotta. I like to have warm stuff. I don't like to eat a lot of like super cold stuff. Such a mess. <laughs> He's a little rascal. 
know. I'm sorry. I have to, I have to warn my husband's pie, him's tea through various things. <laughs> <laughs> you see McDonald's is being boycotted. What? What did they do now? They are providing the Israeli defense force mm. with free meals. They have like four different McDonald's locations that are dedicated to just making those meals. I think they did 4,000 meals so far, and they're providing them to the Israeli army for free. And so the you, you see, the world's lining up, mm-hmm. right? The world's taking sides. Switzerland's like, we're out of this. And uh, like every news outlet is either uh, pro-Palestinian or pro-Israel, and you can't be in the middle, and you can't say, well, the, I'm for the Palestinian people, but I'm not for Hamas. People are just making you like, nope, it's black or white. It's, it's A or B. And so people who support Palestine are boycotting McDonald's hmm. all over the world. Interesting. Mm-hmm. This is such an—the whole thing is just— Yeah. We're not allowed to do nuance and detail. I know. It's always— And history. It's always interesting whenever you they turn it into an A or B choice. Mm-hmm. Like, who benefits from that, really? It's a good question. I mean, I get— I think the root of it is is based in good. Like, they don't like seeing innocent people hurt or killed, which I agree with. I mean, I think we all agree. With. I think the root of it is that. But that's not... If, if the circumstances don't change, that's never going to change. Right? Yeah. I mean, how long are we doing it the same way? I just have a bad feeling on this one. <clears throat> I mean, I don't think... You know, even America is now saying to Israel, like, okay, just, you know, follow the rules. And uh, and then a lot of the world is already on them. You've committed this many war crimes. And I don't think that's going to uh, dissuade Israel from doing what it needs to do. And I just predict, you know, Hezbollah is already launching uh, rockets from Lebanon. I just have a bad feeling. I've had a bad feeling from the beginning that this was some sort of a trap, you know? I mean— You mean, the, the yeah, to, to draw them in? Something. I mean, that's I, I what a lot know, of people thought. I don't thought. know what the play is, yeah. but you know that Hamas knew that Israel wasn't just going to send an angry letter. So they knew this was going to happen. So either they wanted it to uh, create the next generation of Hamas terrorists— or they have a darker plan than even that. But you know that you know that they expected this. Absolutely. I mean, it's the same theory that was put forth when Al Qaeda attacked us, right? They knew what the response would be. They didn't think, oh, well, they're just going to sit back and take it. They knew, and there was a goal in there. Now, did they achieve their goal? I have no idea. I mean, I, it's, we're twenty years later. Uh-huh. Do you think that the the attackers it's a, it's on nine eleven achieved anything? Because all it led to was leveled cities and all kinds of, um, you know, <clears throat> civilian deaths in Afghanistan and in Iraq. Uh, from their perspective, I mean, it's all it led to. I would to. say, uh, to give you a, a, a quick response, I would say they think, I would think that they thought it was successful. Not just the day of 9-11, but before that, we weren't talking about, you know, Muslim nations. We weren't talking about Sharia law. Now we talk about it a lot. And we talk about it negatively, but they are now a player on the world stage where they were not before. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 